0: Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that Al Gore actually won the popular vote? Welcome to Michael and Us, a depressing and nostalgic journey through the cinematic oeuvre of Michael Moore my name is will sloan and with me as always luke savage today we looked at the road not traveled for michael moore uh we looked at his follow-up to roger and me and his to date only fiction film uh the doctor strange love for the masses (laughs) canadian bacon what's your relationship with this film
1: so it was uh I, i completely forgot when we started the podcast that we were gonna have to do this one because uh it's such an abnormal entry in Michael Moore's catalog, but for me, this was a big family movie growing up for some reason. I was that kind of kid who had a handful of movies I was comfortable with. I was very unadventurous so we'd kind of cycle through the same films over and over again. So there were like Jim Carrey movies, Mm -hmm. Liar Liar, a couple Adam Sandler flicks. We'd watch them over and over again and this was one of them. Um, And I don't think I ever really associated with Michael Moore. Uh, I vaguely knew that he was involved but uh so i had a very good association with it and i would say my impression this time was that uh it uh, left very little impression on me
0: uh yeah i saw it as a kid i liked it as a kid because john candy was in it uh i didn't know what politics were no uh, i knew what a president was um i didn't know what the soviet union was no. so i feel like much of the film's satire went above my head i knew what canada was and i was very <laughs> and being a resident of canada it's I was, exciting right it was to exciting see, yeah. to see our country in a movie mm-hmm. um but yeah otherwise not a film that i've really had any desire to <laughs> to, to think about much since right. i saw it but this just shows our level of dedication to yeah. and our and our uh our
1: certified status as Michael Moore completists.
0: We're recording this at 11:30 uh, p.m. on it's a quite late. on a Sunday. Yeah, and and I think that shows our dedication too. <laughs> because this was kind of the only time when our schedules could like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could get in sync to do this movie. And I again, last week I was talking about how I kind of resented having to watch Roger and me again. <laughs> this time I kind of resented, you know, coming here on a Sunday night to, to squeeze in a viewing of <laughs> a Canadian mostly band. yeah a mostly forgotten <laughs> comedy from the 90s <laughs> just just for the purpose of like Michael Moore completism um but yeah like what are your maybe we maybe we could talk a little bit about we starting on a negative
1: note yeah Shucks.
0: uh but we can talk a little bit about like what this movie is I have the results from the overnight tracking you know it's not fair I mean every other president had all of the Russians to blame for everything what do I got for an unpopular president uh, the voters felt that Your being alive or dead had no real bearing on their daily lives. It's time to give war a chance. What are we going to do for an enemy now? A riot between Americans and Canadians broke out last night. Now, with a little inspiration... Suck. Give me one week and I'll have
1: Americans burning maple leaves. They'll
0: create a cause worth fighting for. Is Canadian
1: Prime Minister Clark Macdonald a member of a satanic cult? Oh, that is stunning.
0: Canadians are always dreaming up a lot of ways to ruin our lives. The metric system, for the love of God!
1: not. It's striking that I mean, this actually looks like a real movie, even though it's very, it's very slight, obviously. It uh, it looks like a real movie. The cinematographer
0: has... is Haskell Wexler, who is one of the great cinematographers of all time. So what time. what
1: else is what else has he done?
0: He did the camera work on uh, In the Heat of the Night, American Graffiti, wow. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Bound for Glory. Wow, those are all real movies. Yeah, and uh, Greatest of All Canadian Bacon. I-, I know, looking at his Wikipedia page, that Canadian Bacon is not on his selected filmography. Oh no, it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, so is The Babe with John Goodman. Wow um a, a life well lived um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um i heard a story from somebody who had a friend who worked on uh, canadian bacon which is that michael moore through the whole movie was saying it's got to be like dr strange love it's got to be like dr strange love uh, and then at one point haskell wexler turned to him and said this ain't dr strange love <laughs> so it looks
1: like a real movie which is kind of i was kind of impressed until will told me who the cinematographer was because you know, in the opening credits it says written, produced, and directed by Michael Moore. And I thought, well, that's amazing because there's only his second film and it it looks like a real film. Yeah, and
0: it's his first fiction film. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
0: So what's the movie about? Okay, so
1: it was a very peculiar experience, I should say, watching it again. Because you know when you're a kid and you watch something over and over again and it's kind of comfortable... But, I mean, you don't pick up any of the cues or the reference points. Similar to when I watched The Simpsons as a kid and I didn't get any of the jokes. And watching them again in the last few years, there were episodes where I remembered everything. And yet it was a totally different experience because I actually got it. And that was kind of what watching this movie was again. Mm -hmm. So this is a movie about an unpopular U.S. president who uh, wants to boost his popularity. Played by Alan Alda and uh, starts attempts to start a Cold War with Canada. but
0: Really boosted on by his advisors. There's a, a, a Kevin Pollack a character who is kind of a Dick Cheney type. Right, and there's a Rip Torn character who's an old sort of Cold War jarhead. <laughs> who, who is a uh, George C. Scott and Dr. Strange right. type. Right, right. I mean, Moore wears his influences on his sleeve, I think it's fair to say. All those scenes in the war room <laughs> w- around the big table I think are a little derivative. Yeah, uh,
1: I, I, I think you could say that. So there is a bit of a, a you know, I think a, an intentional reference to Roger and me. The film begins with uh, closure of missile plants in Niagara Falls, New York, and John Candy and his uh, gang of uh, blue collar buddies, including uh, Rhea Perlman. Rhea Perlman, and, and who's the other fellow? I don't even know. I don't know. Okay. Well, we're not gonna. We're not. We're gonna Let's not. Let's not dwell on one. it. Yeah, yeah, it's not that important. No <laughs> one cares. Um, so they're uh, they're laid off. They're laid-off workers, and they're getting money from the local police department to fish bodies of ex uh, ex arms manufacturer or ex ex weapons plant workers who are jumping off the falls. The film opens on that comedic note,
0: a bit of a black comedy mm-hmm. note that it doesn't quite sustain. No.
1: Um, No, I think that's pretty much the only thing in the film you might be able to call black comedy.
0: So there are these two uh, threads. There's the high power uh, DC elites and then there's the blue collar um, simpletons led Mm -hmm. by John Candy. Uh, And this attempt to drum up uh, a Cold War with Canada gets John Candy really riled and he decides that he's going to be he's going to be like a militia man. He's going to be the first line of defense against Canada. Right. So through the, through the course of
1: the film, as the president decides to go along with this plan, the American government engages in propaganda efforts uh, to, to demonize Canada.
0: So we see a lot of uh, footage of the nightly news, which more depicts as basically a propaganda arm mm. of the administration. That's
1: right. And even though, you know, these scenes are kind of, well, they're very hackneyed. Uh, This was a film that came out not too long after the Gulf War and you know, this did actually happen during the Gulf War Mm. So it's playing off of that. I would say that what we see in the movie is kind of proto Borowitz. That's the thing I mean it has these reference points but i'm not really sure how effective the satire actually is if there even is satire
0: so there are a lot of scenes of news broadcasts saying things like canadians they live among us canada known for ages as a polite and clean country has under a socialist majority undertaken a massive military buildup on its border with the united states i don't like canada it's freezing cold
1: Canada owns more of the US than any other country. The Canadians, they walk among us. William Shatner, Michael J. Fox, Monty Hall, Mike Myers, Alex Trebek, all of them Canadians, all of them here. There's these there are these parodies of sort of jing of the jingoistic ads you see, you know, that are designed to whip people up into
0: a, a war frenzy or whatever. I guess the historical context of this movie is it's the nineties, you know, post George Bush Clinton era where mm. uh, you know, it's the end of history, mm. America's on top, and there are no more enemies left to fight because mm the soviet union's down so there's mm. an early scene in the movie um which i didn't think was very funny where, <laughs> i know shocker where they have um the russian president come over um and they said hey can we can we maybe mix it up like he's, he's eating to. kfc he's eating kfc so there's a little 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 <laughs> th- humor there. that's an example of yeah. the level of humor this movie <laughs> provides and he and he says something along the lines of uh Well, we can't start Cold War again. We are trying to institute universal plumbing. Mm -hmm. And I could already see the Andy Borowitz Mm -hmm. joke headline, which would be uh, Russian president attempts to implement universal plumbing. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. And the scene ends with the Russian president trying to escape to the helicopter and... The president's administration literally tackling him on the ground mm-hmm. to get him to stay. Mm-hmm. The satire is a little heavy-handed and obvious. There, there are a number of moments like that in this film, which sort
1: of could almost be funny, but they're not really. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just sort of low-grade humor, and it doesn't really doesn't really leave much uh, much of an impact.
0: I feel really bad because we're digging up this this failed movie. We're digging movie up this movie just to bury it again. Yeah,
1: I mean. <laughs> this movie didn't ask for this uh but i mean then again you know nobody asked for this whole podcast and, and here we are so so i mean what's i think what's fun about this is we get to do the michael moore films that uh you know we you're know, we're gonna we're gonna do fahrenheit 911 yeah. we're gonna and do bowling for columbine Eddie bozo can do those but yeah take,
0: but this is what separates the men from the boys <laughs>
1: So here we are. It's uh, you know it's eleven thirty on a on a Sunday night, and we're talking about Canadian
0: bacon into a microphone. living the dream, um. but I I do think there there are some things to be said for this movie. Mm. I mean, it is a bit of a time capsule. Of I it. think so, yeah. Um, for and in ma- such obvious ways, many though.
1: many things. Uh, there were a few things as a resident of Toronto that I thought were funny, including like the scenes that you see Toronto and the skyline is so different in 1995.
0: Yeah, there aren't as many condos. Yeah,
1: it's uh, just a, it's just a much more spartan skyline.
0: Uh yeah, we're a real world-class city now <laughs> as opposed to then. Um <laughs> Well, we we as as residents of Toronto, we also
1: spotted some continuity errors uh in terms of the way Michael Moore shot the city. So when when uh, the John Candy character along with real Pearlman, arrives in Toronto, they get a view of it uh, that could only have come from Toronto Island. And, like, there's no conceivable way that anyone would enter Toronto via Toronto Island. So, yeah, who cares? So, Moore, the anyway. hack liberal filmmaker, we caught him out again, okay, bending well, the truth.
0: Yeah, I get this. At the end of the movie, uh, John Canney looks across the river at America and says, Ah, it's home. And what do we see? We see the steel plant in Hamilton. Not in America. Pathetic. So again, just bending facts to suit his agenda. Pathetic. I hope morewatch.com is listening to this. (laughs) Michael, I know you're listening. (laughs) So if you want to come on the podcast and rebut any of these points. Bring it on. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I do think that. Like, a lot of the themes of this movie are interesting. I just don't think the film deals with them in a very interesting way. So this end-of-history idea, of course, is an interesting thing. And actually, when we were watching, when there's this stupid scene that you were just describing with uh, Alan Alda talking to the Russian president, I was uh, recalling, I think it's uh, Corey Robin, the American political scientist. I I, I remember him once saying, I think it was him, that he'd interviewed William F. Buckley during the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And uh, he talked a lot about uh, the... Uh, the cold war and 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 this new era that the united states uh, was living in and buckley made some very revealing comments about feeling that the 1990s were uh were a time of 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 weakness and of and of kind of political anemia ossification because there was no one threatening the united states there was nothing to rouse this Mm -hmm. these kind of martial militaristic sentiments that had motivated uh and inspired conservative intellectuals in the past and uh you know neoconservative policymakers and whatever so i think that's an interesting theme i'm just not sure if the film adds anything to it or says anything
0: yeah i guess it's just sort of an in- interesting reflection of that time the the movie um i don't know i guess you could say it's a little bit prescient of things like uh Clinton in Kosovo, mm-hmm. uh, which many interpreted as mm-hmm. a failing president's attempt to, to rally people onto his side during a difficult time in his administration. Yeah,
1: and I mean, during the first Gulf War, I mean, George Bush Sr. had a reputation, or HW as he was known then, I guess, had a reputation for being a, a wimp and a mm-hmm. pushover. And, uh, you know, the war was widely seen as something that he was, that you know, that he did to uh, to, to boost his approval ratings. And, and, of course, the coverage of the Gulf War famously was, uh, I mean, it's crazy. to I, If you go back and watch kind of clips of Wolf Blitzer uh, and things like that. I mean, I'm not sure if you square it up with the 2003 war and the media coverage of that, which was unbelievably jingoistic at the beginning. But there were clips on, you know, there was sort of 24-7 CNN coverage with these embedded journalists, you know, watching... Hmm. Uh, ...watching cities burn and saying things like, you know, it's like a firework display on the 4th of July. I mean, it was, I think, a, a, a modern war that set the tone for really disinterested and jingoistic coverage. And, of course, it was a war where the United States, along with France and a number of allies... ...you know, they were fighting a an army that uh, was significantly weaker, that had been in a war with Iran for a long time there was no question of who was going to win the war. And, you know, the scenes of when, you know, American troops came back and there were these big victory parades and things like that, you know, I, I think the film, you, you know, is very much, it's got those things in mind. But again, I just, I'm not sure, apart from sort of lightly and gently parodying those things, I'm not really sure what the film is doing with them. Or
0: I, I always question Michael Moore's motivations a little bit because on the one hand, he's... Basically, an admitted pragmatist who always talks about, "Oh, you gotta put these messages in in a way that the public will accept." Mm. So there's very much an attempt here to make Doctor Strange love <laughs> the multiplex crowd. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I think that's, so, that's fair. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much he's toning down the satire or making it kind of milk toast. But then again, I mean, I, I think this is actually what he finds funny.
1: Yeah. This I-
0: this kind of hacky bullshit and like mostly it's not it's not a funny movie i mean There's the whole a, second half of this movie is john candy it's uh, almost like
1: a series of sketches more than it is like a, f- yeah. a film I so, mean
0: so the whole second half is just john candy and his compatriots in canada doing things like they, they hijinks yeah they throw litter on the ground and say this is the biggest offense possible and, in and canada. Some, some
1: mounties uh sort of come to arrest them but then start arguing about grammar uh right. you know or there's a scene where they 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 steal a truck and they spray paint you know you suck canada eat dog meat canadians these kind of things and they're stopped by a uh, an opp officer played by dan Aykroyd, who's furious but not about what the language says uh, this writing on the side of your vehicle oh how did that get the, those kids at, at the garage i just stopped for like whatever my concern is the sensibilities of a certain distinct and viable part of Canadian society. Les Québecois.
0: Huh?
1: You know, wine drinkers. Pea soup eaters. French Canadians. Oh, oh, yeah, those guys, sure. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws, which specifically prescribe that all signs be in both English and French. Canada's two official languages. Okay. I do have to find you. That'll be $1,000 Canadian, or 10 American dollars, if you'd prefer.
0: Which is uh, <laughs> totally a rip-off of the scene in Life of Brian, when mm. the, the centurion makes Brian correct his spelling on the vandalism. So this film as many
1: influences. Kubrick, Life of
0: Brian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be interested in talking a little bit about this, this movie's class politics, because okay, yeah. Michael Moore is... You know, he's a man of the people. Uh, yeah, he's
1: somebody who became famous for a sort of a blue-collar persona, and and you know was synonymous with
0: you. You know, yeah. Michael Moore. He's got a he's got a ball cap on. He's <laughs> got his blue jeans. He's plain-spoken. Yeah, he's unlike noam chomsky or someone he speaks to, he speaks to you and me the the regular people on the street the regular ball cap wearing people i feel you know he's pretty condescending to the to the working classes in this film it's
1: very strange after making a film like roger me which i think is is really like as we were saying last week is genuinely empathetic um mm-hmm. and you know he has a real solidarity with the the, the people who are the subjects of the film and in this, I mean, he kind of portrays, you know, John Candy and the people around him are just these rubes who are so easily manipulated. And uh, yeah, and I, w- I wasn't sure. I mean, I think I think I, I think we can say that pretty definitively. I don't think it's it's right. it's just something to, to be hinted at.
0: And, and I mean, he puts this movie in conversation with Roger and me by opening it with the plant closing and people people jumping off niagara falls mm-hmm. i mean i think he wants you to remember roger and he does. me and say oh these are the people like well that. even
1: even the scene where they're where they're they're gonna fish people out of the falls and be paid 50 dollars. that's like that's like a dark you know black comedy version of something you would see in roger and me
0: i think there's maybe always been a tension in the way he depicts class because i mean even in roger and me he's showing a community that um, is battered but would sort of prefer to delude itself into thinking that good times might be coming mm. by, you know, having Anita Bryant or Pat Boone come to town and mm. or opening Auto World or that sort mm. of thing and having this kind of pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps line.
1: Somewhat, although, like, as I was saying last week, I think that... The enemies in Roger and me, the, the bad people are their officialdom. It's not the it's not the it's yeah. not really the blue collar people. It's the people that are running the government and it's the state officials and the and the local the municipal bureaucrats and mm. people like that. Okay, but
0: well, how about uh, something like Bowling for Columbine though, where we see a lot of sort of militia well, people flash and, then, uh, and yeah. then you know a big uh, a big kind of. Theme of Bullying for Columbine mm-hmm. is how we as an American people have been kept in a constant state of fear by the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think he's wrong right. to depict people that way, but it suggests a certain fear that america is easily gullible and manipulated yeah i mean
1: i mean and uh you know to be fair to michael moore i mean he you know the american population uh, many of them were uh successfully conned during the first gulf war and, and were, were very much conned during the uh mm-hmm. the build-up to the 2003 uh war as well i think though i mean we'll have to wait I, you know i think watching bowling for columbine is going to be very interesting and uh, we may have a guest joining us for that for that podcast as well which should be fun i think one uh i guess hypothesis i might have in response to what you just said is that as much as he cleaves to this kind of blue collar working class old america sort of new deal uh Mm. liberalism i think you know in some respects he's kind of a traditional uh metropolitan liberal and so i mean bowling for columbine and as i remember it and i think some of his other movies do engage in this pretty generic like msnbc you know anti-red state cultural politics and I think that's why he doesn't have any qualms about you know he can depict real like Joe American uh in a positive way you know in one movie and then he can depict them in a you know in a in a a totally different and, and in a sort of a mean caricature in another movie that would be my Hypothesis. Sure. We'll What's an example
0: see. of kind of an anti-red state uh, scene in one of these movies? Are. I mean, I think in Bowling for Columbine, like it's
1: again, it's been a long time the, since the militia I've seen guys and the movie? militia guys, yeah. and and just the way he interviews people who he knows are going to say like ridiculous things about guns or whatever, mm-hmm. and and he's just he's just sort of putting them in front of the camera, I or
0: in Slacker Uprising, uh, covered in our first podcast, where. There's that montage of right. the dumb Michael Moore protesters, right?
1: And and who, as as you said, you know, in in the first episode, who are pretty much indistinguishable from the people that he's valorizing that are coming to his rallies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good uh, I, I think that, that that's a good example.
0: Anyway, I, I didn't think this movie was very funny, but at the same time, I thought it was a, it was a, a not unpleasant viewing experience no to me to me
1: it just felt bizarrely flat and that may be the time it may be because uh, it's the end of the weekend we we both gotta go (laughs) back to work tomorrow Uh, look I'm sorry this movie it could be Friday night and (laughs) this this movie would be exactly the same (laughs) can you imagine if we watched this on Friday night if we squandered a Friday Uh, (laughs) night we on Thursday we saw Chimes at Midnight like on the big screen
0: such a good (laughs) movie pretty
1: I mean maybe it's because uh, it pales in comparison to that I'm not sure
0: it's not quite as good as that um (laughs) But uh we were watching Canadian Bacon and as I said to you, I, I felt like I was on a flight where yeah. I'm watching this movie to just sort of pass the time but but also <laughs> I, I'm watching the movie and I'm just waiting for it to end, just like the flight. <laughs> and looking at the running time is like looking at you know, the screen on the flight where you see the airplane over the ocean and mm-hmm. you can you can tell where you are in the trip. Mm-hmm. So there came a point about three quarters of the way through the movie when I, I felt like the airplane was just over Newfoundland. Yeah, you're flying back the, from Europe. You're just <laughs> over Newfoundland. And you think,
1: OK, we've broken ground. We're not over the Atlantic <laughs> anymore. But then you remember that Canada's really big, and you've yeah. still got to fly over Quebec and the Atlantic provinces, and yeah, that's and, how I and felt. Ontario. Three
0: quarters of the way into this movie, yeah, uh, uh, yeah,
1: the same. It was, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a slog. But being the Michael Moore completists that we are, uh, we never back away from a fight. So here we are. Nice to see John Candy. Yeah, I mean that's one thing I would say about this movie. That's like I would unreservedly say that he's pleasant and charming. He's always, and this is his last movie. Uh, I yeah, believe we, he died weeks after it. This was, it was finished filming, yeah, or weeks after it, it. It was came into theaters. The or?
0: last movie that was released with him, but he filmed another movie after. Okay, I didn't realize that. He a movie called Wagons East, which he died during production of. Mm-hmm. Did, did was it? Did it come out in the end? Yeah, it came out, but. Okay. From the reviews I've read, I don't know, I'll, I'll never see it. They indicated that his uh, well, presence in the movie was a little bit... Well, um, tune into our Wagons East podcast. Uh, when we go over all the yeah. films of John Candy. Can you imagine? Oh my god.
1: Uh, Maybe on your important Cinema Club, you can do John Candy. Yeah,
0: he, I mean, he's not high on my list of topics, <laughs> I love John Candy though. We all love John Candy. <laughs> and
1: he is he is charming in this movie. Actually, I mean, a lot of the actors in this movie are fun and they're Oh, it's doing, a good
0: cast. They're yeah.
1: doing you know, and there's a lot of famous people in this movie. There's that what's the name of that fellow who's also in Apocalypse Now and
0: Oh yeah, uh, G.D. Spradlin. He was yeah. in uh, Godfather too, I think. And, That's right. Uh, Ed Wood is mm-hmm. in. Uh,
1: Rip-, Rip Torn is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I mean we get to see Dan Aykroyd. We can see Michael Moore himself at one point uh, oh. playing one of these uh these angry, riled up you know, I think he says it's time we put America back in North America because they're burning Canadian flags
0: and So stuff. so this is a bit of like auto critique because you know, Michael Moore's kind of the working class mm-hmm. schlub, just like you and me. He's got a ball <laughs> cap, he's got a he's got a windbreaker, and he's kind of putting himself in solidarity with the working classes of this film, right?
1: I think that was my favorite part of the movie was just like the, the fifteen seconds that we get to see Michael Moore. And then and then uh Alan Alda, who's you know in the Situation Room and seeing this, just kind of like, like puts his head in his hands, and I thought, <laughs> I thought
0: that uh, worked on on several levels. Uh, anyway, this movie played at the Cannes Film Festival in the "En Certain regard sidebar, and then it uh, was released in theaters when it made over a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> what was the budget do i have a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars no but what was the budget It's 11 million according to wikipedia Uh uh-huh and oh also uh, another fact gleaned from imdb trivia um wow you're telling me you didn't just know this about canadian bacon (laughs) supposedly michael moore was turned down by 47 different companies until madonna's production company accepted this film wow um anyway there's never been another fiction film from him since um and i think that's probably a good thing yeah i mean i don't know i
1: don't really care um so, <laughs> so this is this has been amazing to excavate this uh this piece of buried treasure this forgotten gem from the early 90s or the mid 90s but i i think that i mean next week we're doing the big one. Oh which, my god which speaking of you, know, you want to talk gems. about a slog <laughs> it's you know i think uh the big one is kind of like the proto slacker uprising and i mean you know if you all listen to episode one slacker uprising I mean to be the proto Slacker Uprising is is not where you wanna be. So
0: uh okay. we've seen the big one, you and I within the last year. <laughs> and I'm gonna go jump off your fucking yeah. balcony. It's gonna be really bad. Before I have it's to see that bad. again, but
1: <laughs> within the next ten days we're gonna have to watch that. It's gonna be really fun. I think I think also, you know, part of this uh this exercise and this project is just like, to see, can we get through this? Like, how annoyed can, are these films going to make us? And, I mean, this one, I mean, while the film was just kind of flat and, like, reasonably pleasant, it left no mark. It was kind of a, it was a f- very right. flat viewing experience. Whereas and,
0: other Michael Moore films, I feel, are more actively annoying.
1: Right, and I think the big one's going to be an example of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, as I recall, I mean, so it's him on the book tour for Stupid White Men, right? Right. Uh, Downsize This. Downsize This, which... Not that it matters. They're the same fucking book. (laughs) Just a joke book, basically, is what it is. Um, One of those those books that, you know, you you find it, um,
0: like, you used to see it at, like, university book sales for, like, $2 your best offer or whatever. Or it's like if you're at, um, I remember at (laughs) Occupy Wall Street, they used to have the People's Bookshelf, where Mm. you'd find all of of Michael Moore's books and a Noam Chomsky book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the only arsenal, and, arsenal and, you need to overthrow capitalism. And uh, Al Franken's lies and the lying liars who tell them. Oh, uh, God. Anyway. Oh, uh, dear. Well, yeah. uh, well.
1: Uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to the big one. I think that even if it's bad, I mean, so it's Michael Moore going on the book tour for this book. And I think even if it's bad, it's going to be bad in a way which, is, which stimulates us. It will be actively annoying. Whereas I feel like this film, it was just like, give us something to work with. Come <S laughs> on, give us some ideology. Give us some... Maybe uh, maybe when we look back at, at uh, this episode, when we've gone through the rest of the Michael Moore catalog... This
0: will be our Canadian bacon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, I think, I think maybe, you know, one of the complaints that uh, I, I, I've already introduced about Michael Moore earlier on this podcast, um, and which I think we're going to deal with a lot with his later movies, is the fact that for somebody who espouses nominally left-wing politics, he often... You know seems kind of bereft of ideology he's not very programmatic he he likes to present he has a tendency to present things that he thinks are good as just commonsensical, Mm -hmm. and he refuses to engage with kind of you know when you know so spoiler alert uh where to invade next i mean he goes to other countries he plucks these ideas from them and he's like you know well that seems like a good i you know that seems like a good idea or a good policy And he doesn't really engage that much with how did this thing actually come about and what were the struggles that brought it about. Like for all his, you know, pretensions to being this kind of erstwhile radical, he can be awfully flat. And I think that's something that certainly struck me about this, his one and only fiction film.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. As always, I was the big one, Will Sloan. (laughs) And I was, can't think of a nickname, Luke Savage. See you next time. (laughs) Hey, I'm uh, I'm not a lumberjack or a fur trader, and I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or own a dog sled. And I don't know Jimmy, Sally, or Susie from Canada, although I'm certain they're really, really nice. Uh, I have a prime minister, not a president. I speak English and French, not American, and I pronounce it about, not a boot. I can proudly sew my country's flag on my backpack. I believe in peacekeeping, not policing diversity not assimilation and that the beaver is a truly proud a noble animal a tooth is a hat a chesterfield is a coach and an ain't pronounced zed not zed zed canada is the second largest land mass the first nation of hockey and the best part of north america my name is joe and i